Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Um, What would you say are, are the most popular verses in the Bible? This is not a rhetorical question. What, what are the most popular verses in the Bible? What are some of the ones that you see all the time? John 3.16. John 3.16. John 3.16. Okay, yeah, what else? What else is kind of like on posters and mugs and journals and... Ephesians something? 2.8. What's, what is that? I should know, but... Nice. Man, I should really know that one. <laughs> That's good, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I heard Jeremiah 29.11. Yeah, I can do all things. Yeah, yeah. Those are Psalm 23... Um, uh, what else was there? Yeah, those are some of the big ones, I think. <laughs> Man, I really need to memorize the reference for Ephesians 2. Thank you for calling me to account on that one. Yeah, all things work together for good. Yeah, right. These are all the most popular verses. I think that's right. Um, I actually did a little searching on some of the online Bible sites, like which verses are searched the most and studied. What are the most popular ones? Um, and, and right at the top, the most popular one is Jeremiah 29.11. Um, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Um, which, just as a sort of footnote, as an aside, I always think there's this sort of deep um, irony when that verse is brought out, because everyone forgets Jeremiah 29.10, which says, you will be in miserable slavery for 70 years, but after that, I have a good plan for you. I mean, that, it colors the verse quite a lot, doesn't it? Um, yeah, a little, yeah, the, yeah, the importance of context, uh, that's right. Um, the, the thing of all of the, uh, the popular verses of the Bible, they all have one thing in common, and they're all about blessing. Uh, prosperity, peace, strength, uh, above all, blessing. And in one sense, that's, that's right, right? We've been given so many blessings uh, as Christians. God is a God who blesses, and so it's right that we remember uh, the blessings and the encouragements of the Scriptures. But I think sort of when you look at what all the most popular verses, there's also, um, they're dangerously one-sided. And I say dangerous because I think, I was trying to think about this, if you were to uh, go to Hobby Lobby, and don't get me wrong, I love Hobby Lobby, uh, it's a great store, but if you were to go to Hobby Lobby and try and construct what's Christianity about by just looking at which verses are plastered on things, the mugs and the posters and stuff, um, you would not get a full picture of the Christian faith. Um, And actually, the nature of the Christian faith, if you don't have the full picture, you don't really have it at all, right? That's sort of the warning of John in Revelation is, don't take away and don't add to this message of Christian Christian faith. Um, Because what's missing um, is the cross. Uh, And and now they do have, to their credit, there are plenty of crosses that you can buy at Hobby Lobby. Um, But I, I sort of think when... It's almost, I think, bordering on the absurd sometimes when these crosses are decorated with every frilly thing imaginable and the message can be a bit lost in that medium, right? Like, this is an instrument of torture. I mean, yes, it's the instrument on which our Lord redeemed the whole world and for that reason, we'll put crosses up everywhere. Um, But when we start to put just like lots and lots of little bows and things on them, I think the fact of the cross is lost. Um, And I think... Not only the cross of Christ, um, but our cross, the cross that Christ bids us to take up ourselves, that also um, is, is not on display. 
Um, if we misunderstand uh, Christianity to be just about material blessings or just about the outward enjoyments of peace and comfort, things which are gifts from God, I'm not denouncing that, but if we think it's just about that, um, when difficulty comes, as it will for all of us, um, there's a liability then that our faith will fall apart. Right? That if we make synonymous Christianity and being outwardly blessed, when the outward blessing goes away, what happens to the Christianity? We would, might mistakenly think that Christ has abandoned us, which would be a terrible lie because he never abandons us. Now we, um, as Christians, we need to understand the full witness of Scripture, including Matthew 16:24, which is conspicuously absent uh, from the top ten list of popular verses. Uh, and I, I don't think I've ever seen a beautifully calligraphied wall hang that says, "Deny yourself." <laughs> Although maybe we should make those and have those here. That might be to count to add so that the full witness is, is represented. But our Lord says that um, this very difficult and uh, charge, deny yourself and take up your cross, he says it's required of anyone who would follow him, meaning anyone who would be a Christian, this is a, necessi- a necessary thing to do. And we see this borne out in the lives of all those who heard these words of Jesus, right? St. Peter would go on to be martyred. St. Paul, uh, shipwrecked and driven out of town after town and suffered lots of physical illnesses. And St. James or St. Stephen being killed for the cause of Christ. Um, Every one of the lives of the early apostles and the testimony really of Christians in every era is that following Jesus actually means taking um, a harder road and not an easier one it actually often means suffering more, not less. As Jesus says, it means losing your life, not, not keeping it. Which, which is a tonic, it's a necessary word. It's the opposite of this sort of hyper-blessing theology that kind of runs thick in the cultural Christianity of our day. Jesus... Um, while he does bless us outwardly all the time in his mercy, he doesn't promise blessing as sort of the necessary expectation if you're a Christian. What he does promise uh, is a cross, which has inward blessings, certainly, infinite inward blessings, in fact, but it, but it is still a cross. And that's, it's, a, it's the teaching about our crosses that he asks us to carry that I want to unpack a bit this morning. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So there's two phrases in there. They're interrelated that I want to zoom in on. Um, Deny themselves and take up their cross. And if if there was a thesis statement, I suppose, to this sermon, it would be this, that the practices of self-denial prepare us for our cross. That's what I really want to kind of communicate to you this morning. The practices of self-denial prepare us for the cross. And because it is the will of God the Father that all of us who've been baptized into his Son would be made to be like his Son. And that means that like his Son, we will all be invited to lay down our lives in one way or another, to take up a cross that is painful. This uh, comes home to roost with a a most literal meaning when each of us is uh, asked to die, as we all will someday. But there's also a hundred smaller crosses before that day 
that the Lord invites us to take up. A hundred painful, real difficulties that the Lord does permit to happen, right? Um, According to his good and perfect will. As he speaks through Jeremiah, it was God who ordained the exile to Babylon. It was God who invited and sent his son to carry the burden of the world on the cross. It was God who permitted St. Paul to suffer what he called the thorn in his flesh, the thing that was aggravating him that he wished was gone. God permits those things. He permits these crosses to show up. Now, I think, you know, one thing, there's actually sort of a a surprise in this phrase. We're used to it, take up your cross. It's a Christian phrase. But there's a surprise even in that phrase. If you think about the world in um, in which our Lord is speaking, Criminals were crucified on a fairly regular basis and it was gruesome and ugly and soldiers would have to take criminals limb by limb and force a limb down onto a cross to nail them to it. This wasn't something you took up, this was something you resisted. You can just imagine these sort of writhing criminals in this situation that was an everyday fact for them in the first century. And Jesus is saying, take up that cross which is what we see in his own life, right? He says, no one takes my life from me. You don't have to hold my arm to the cross. I put it down and you can nail it there. I mean, that's a surprising counterintuitive thing to be charging, to take up a cross. And that's what Jesus charges us to do. Uh, Even with the smaller crosses in our lives, to not resist them, to not struggle against it uh, as they approach, but, but to take them up, to receive even hardship willingly even though evil does not come from God to take up a difficult thing as permitted by God to accept it as if it was from his own hand if we do that we're imitating our saviour we're following him in how he treated the cross that he was asked to take up and just to be really clear to kind of bring it into our own lives, most of the time these crosses are quite small. Very few of us are called to carry enormous crosses of martyrdom or you know, these sort of extreme things. It's the little crosses that over a course of a lifetime add up to one big sacrifice to God. I think actually even one of the sort of sneaky tricks of Satan, our enemy, um, is he sort of inspires fleshly ambition to look for these sort of great magnificent acts of self-denial for Christ. But actually, almost always, this is to be found in the small things. And I think nothing is actually too small. It's only our flesh which would want actually to sort of say, oh no, this isn't a chance for discipleship. Uh, The Spirit invites every difficulty to be a chance for discipleship. So whether it's an annoying relative uh, who needs you at inconvenient times, whether it's a financial loss, whether it's recurring headaches or chronic pain, or whether it's uh, being bereaved of someone you loved before they're old. These are unwanted, unchosen things, but they can be to us so many small crosses. They're going to afflict us either way, right? The difference is whether we accept them as from the Lord or not. And what I want to offer from the wisdom of sort of the saints of ages past is that if we take them up as our own, if we, when a hardship comes away, if we sort of make it voluntary, it comes involuntarily, but if we make it voluntary, it actually has a chance to be something the Lord uses to sanctify us. And it actually becomes a gift that we can offer to God of humble service and submission, just like Jesus offered to the Father. We become like Jesus and we will be rewarded like Jesus, when we imitate him in this way.
And I, I want to say, this is, this is a crazy teaching of the scriptures. It's absolutely superhuman. Nothing in human nature would incline us to say, oh, difficulty? I accept. <laughs> right? When hardships come, natural instinct is to scamper and flail and mope and complain and gripe and just anything, anything but just sort of accepting what comes. And actually, one of the, I actually sort of, we can actually use this, we can use our own weak natures uh, to good benefit in this way. In my own life, whenever I find myself complaining about something, it's sort of a, a sure test revelation to, me, to myself, oh, I am not taking up this cross. <laughs> I'm seeking to avoid this difficulty that the Lord has permitted. I'm just complaining about it. Our Lord didn't complain on the cross. He was honest about need, right? We, there's a sort of danger of thinking that Christianity needs to be this like tight-lipped stoicism. It's not. Like our Lord was full of human emotion and even explained his need even on the cross, right? Like I thirst, but he didn't complain. He wasn't griping to the centurion. Um, there was a, a priest in France a couple hundred years ago named St. John Vianney, and he sa- said this, he said, the saints never complain. And uh, I wrote that down, and it hangs on a wall in our house, I'll show it to you if you're ever over, because I need it as a daily reminder. Um, and I think that's a really condensed way of sort of teaching that, about how we should respond to difficulty and take up our cross in our own life. That the opposite of taking up your cross is complaining. And if you just try and curb complaining, it's sort of for me at least, and I, I, I test it, see if this is true in your own experience, but I've found that if I curb complaining, it sort of forces the pain back into my heart momentarily to then take to God in prayer. And it becomes a thing of, Lord, I don't want this. This is horrible, but you have permitted it, and oh, give me grace to bear up under it. Give me strength, because I'm weak. I can't do this today. Give me strength. I need your help. In my weakness, you are strong. So, you know, it, it, The pain gets channeled into prayer when we don't let it all out by complaining. Instead, uh, accepting these things from God. And, um, yeah, so I offer that as a maxim to hold on to. In terms of how do you take up your cross? Just begin with trying not to complain. Uh, the saints never complain because sanctification begins when we don't just complain when difficulty comes, but begin to take it up. In sort of um, looking at these things, we see that Jesus is clearly saying that the, the goal, the direction, sort of the, the, the tone of the Christian life is not one of just sort of increased ease and comfort and blessing, like kind of without end. It actually is, has a healthy dose and is even directed towards giving up your life, letting go of things. It's the opposite, actually, of just ever-increasing comfort. Which I know stands uh, in stark contrast to the cultural Christianity of our day, to what you can see on the journals and the mugs uh, at Hobby Lobby. And I, I think um, it's such a superhuman, such a radical teaching that our Lord is offering. He's not just sort of saying, like, you know, turn 180 degrees from these things in like, with no help. He actually gives us a stepping stone to lay claim to this truth. And it's right there in that same verse. Uh, deny yourself. Self-denial is a means to begin to become accustomed to taking up a cross rather than running away from it. The practice of self-denial prepares us for our cross. Oh. <laughs> if we practice on a daily basis, um, denying ourselves little things that we want, and, and I, just to be clear, I'm not talking about sins. Those should always be denied, right? Any temptation to sin should always be either resisted or run away from. So that's a given in the Christian life. 
I'm talking about morally neutral things, just any ordinary thing. It could be if you have a sweet tooth, <laughs> it could be dessert, it could be an extra meal, it could be maybe an hour's sleep or some money you wanted to spend on something nice for yourself, or it could just be the delight that comes from weighing in with your own opinion, like also guilty, right? I mean, whatever it could be that we just want to do to deny ourselves that thing. I think even in just such small, tiny practices, God actually can use those to form a Christ-likeness within us. There's a, a story that I just love of um, a, an old monk who, uh, it was Lent and he was fasting, but he got invited to someone's house and so he went uh, and uh, he, he feasted at the table. They put out a big meal and he ate the whole thing. And uh, his disciples said, you know, Master, what, weren't you just disgusted to be feasting like while you're fasting during Lent? And he said, what disgusts me is to do my own will. It's like, I just, I, I, that kind of echoes in my head anytime I'm thinking, like, oh, I'm going to do my own thing. Uh, no, no, what disgusts me is to do my own will. Would that that character would be formed in us. When it is, we are made ready to take up the difficulties, the unchosen ones, when they come. So just to be clear, um, self-denial is like the practice ground for the unchosen cross. Like it's the chosen thing to kind of form ourselves. It's a training ground, if you will, uh, for the real test. If I know, I know some of what's going on in some of your lives. If you're in the midst of real difficulty and a real cross, you don't need the practice ground, right? Like if you are sick with the flu, you don't need to fast because all that you could have gotten from fasting, you can get from accepting the flu when it comes. I am... Um, it, it, just to give to show you that this is not sort of these are not sort of the, the heights of sort of living in some desert just praying all day daily life stuff like for before Jane was born um, I had a really nice rhythm and schedule of like quiet times and scripture reading and some Christian disciplines and and then now with like no sleep and just all the sort of disruption that come with a baby which is a great blessing that's not a cross to have a baby but um you know it's disrupted this whole thing and I was sort of grumbling about it, like oh, I haven't been able to have my quiet time you know and the Lord just kind of showed me my own silliness that here he is saying like Oh, like, uh, who, who was just following their self-will all along? Like, I give one little disruption to your own schedule, and I'm, like, really grumpy about it. And now realizing, like, oh, no, Lord, like, I'm dead exhausted. I don't want to be up at four in the morning, but I accept this is from your hand. This isn't even a hardship. This is for a baby. It's good. Uh, but the, it's difficult to my flesh, and just to accept that is from the Lord. So these aren't necessarily, like, the grand things of life. It's the bread and butter of just normal human life that the Lord can use to either uh, to, to re- refine us away from just incessant selfish pursuits, which is our normal MO. So if, um, I know many of you are struggling with things much worse than just a little bit of lost sleep. Um, you, you, if that's true about you, if you really have a lot to bear right now, you don't need to go looking for chances to, for self-denial. They're right there in your lap already. The Lord is inviting you to take them up. But if, on the, uh, the other hand, your life is actually very comfortable right now and full of ease and joy, great. Uh, I would just encourage you not to sort of think, well, things are good, I'm just going to live it up while I can. Because then when difficulty comes, it'll be shipwreck. Uh, But instead to practice little things of self-denial, to become ready for when difficulty comes. And even in the midst of not having difficulty, to be able to offer renunciation of self to the Lord. I want to kind of wrap these things up by just trying to answer the question, why? Uh, Why would Jesus command us to these difficult things. Why would we even sort of want to lean into such difficult teaching? And uh, simply, the answer is so that we can be near Jesus. That's what Jesus says, right? 
this is how to follow him closely. He says it twice. If you want to be my followers, then deny yourselves and take up your cross and follow me. It's about walking behind and with and being present with our risen Lord and Savior. So difficult things, whether it's denial when it's a season of comfort or voluntarily accepting the seasons of difficulty, uh, they're worth doing because Jesus did them for us. That's why we picked that hymn. Uh, That's why I picked that hymn at the beginning of the service, uh, that we do this because he did it for us. His self-denial saved us and was a great delight to the Father, a gift of love. Uh, And our self-denial, we're we're not like Jesus, we can't save others the way he has saved us, but but we can give a gift of our own life back to God in return. If we follow in his um, difficult footsteps, we'll be brought into his great reward. Uh, That's sort of the big picture of Christianity. God is guiding our lives as adopted sons and daughters to be like the Son of God. And uh, as Paul would say in Philippians, we come to share in his life when we're, our lives are patterned like his in his death. There's a, a prayer we pray here every Friday at morning prayer. It's the assigned collect. And I want to close with it because it kind of sums up this whole, uh, everything, the scripture and the thing I've been trying to say this morning. So um, I invite you to, as I pray this prayer, uh, to pray this in your hearts with me. Almighty God, whose most dear son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen.